Hi, guys. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Welcome to the Goop Podcast. Made possible by our friends at Bowl and Branch. Today's guest is the incredible Dr. Sarah Gottfried, a board-certified OBGYN physician scientist educated by way of MIT and Harvard Medical School. A leading hormone expert, Dr. Gottfried's best-selling books include Younger, The Hormone Cure, and The Hormone Reset Diet, where she explains that calories are just a part of the equation when it comes to women's weight loss. Dr. Gottfried sat down with Elise Lunen, Goop's chief content officer, to talk about hormones, aging, and a new paradigm for women's health. After the conversation, I'll be doing a quick round of Ask Me Anything. If you've got a burning or totally random question you want me to answer, hit us up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Hey, it's Elise. A few years ago, we did a story on Goop about organic cotton. In the course of our deep dive, we learned how toxic conventional cotton can really be for the environment and then for our bodies and just how hard it is to find GOT-certified organic cotton, the highest certification in organic cotton farming and production. Not only is Boland Branch's bedding GOT-certified, but it's Fairtrade certified too. This means that everyone involved in the supply chain, from their farmers to the factory workers, has been treated fairly. Another reason to love Boland Branch? The sheets are incredibly soft and only get softer the longer you have them. For $50 off your first set, Head over to bowlandbranch.com and use promo code GOOP. Now, let's get to Elise and her deep dive with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Their conversation is wide-ranging, touching on everything from the toxins in our personal care to the reasons that so many women struggle to lose weight. Dr. Gottfried's work is particularly compelling because she is both cutting-edge and science-backed. And as a functional doctor who was once quite conventional, she works hard to build bridges within the medical community. Essential, because in this moment, we need more collaboration and less polarization in our healthcare system. Here are Elise and Dr. Sarah Gottfried. So thanks so much for being here, Dr. Gottfried. Happy to be here. So you are probably most known for helping women reset their out-of-whack hormones and debunking this idea that for a lot of women, one calorie in equals one calorie out. And there is basic math at the root of why we can't control our weight or any other number of factors. So what does that look like for you? And how do you help women sort of reset or find their true ground zero? Well, the problem with the calorie in, calorie out philosophy is that it doesn't take hormones into account. And women are not just little men. Like, we are very different than men. Our hormones are completely different. Our hormones fluctuate wildly. We have babies. Like, we have so much more going on than men. And I don't mean to minimize or oversimplify men, but our issues are different. So when it comes to weight loss, which I think is part of what you're asking about, and also nutrition, like how do you get nutrition from calories, your hormones are more important. Like calories are important. Hormones are way more important. I'll just give you a quick example. If you have a glass of Coca-Cola versus an equal number of calories of steamed broccoli, what those do in your body are completely different. The Coca-Cola is going to shrink your brain. 
It's going to um, spike your insulin. And if you keep doing that continuously, it's going to make you store fat and have brain fog. The broccoli is like a powerful antioxidant. It takes the pollution, you know, the chemicals that we're exposed to every day. It fights them. It feeds your cells in a really juicy, lovely way, unlike the Coca-Cola. So that's just an example of how calories in and calories out just don't it's not the whole picture. <laughs> There's so many things like that in, in women's health in particular that feel so reductionist. And it's interesting and what you said about how women and men are so different, yet almost all, aren't almost all scientific studies done on like the 155-pound elusive male? They are. And, you know, so many of the studies, I would say 85% of them, have been done on men, and it's just kind of assumed that the same applies to women. So, you know, one one idea that comes to mind is there's this famous physician, Walter Cannon, who was at Harvard Medical School, and he was a physiologist. He's the one who came up with kind of the stress response system, this fight-flight-freeze idea. And what he found is that the way that men respond to stress is with fight-or-flight, he assumed the same thing happens to women. That's not the case. The way women respond to stress is very different. We're more likely to freeze, especially if we're in a less empowered place. We're, um, we're wired biologically to respond to stress with tend and befriend. When we tend and befriend, especially if you hang out with benevolent women like you, Elise, it helps you become stress resilient in such a powerful way. And, you know, this isn't something I came up with. There was work done at UCLA where they realized, okay, these ideas we had from the 1930s about fight or flight and the male response to stress doesn't apply to women. So interesting just listening, just even thinking about how interconnected we all are and just thinking about you and your work and your practice and sort of that bird's eye view of women's health that's so, I mean, it's all so interrelated. Uh, and it seems like the most obvious thing to say, but knowing how, you know, your practice has evolved from sort of totally conventional medicine into something that's more functional, it's sad that there aren't, that all doctors aren't thinking completely system-wide because it's such a, it seems like a set of dominoes. It is a set of dominoes. Yeah. You know, I think the physicians who practice the way I do often have some sort of vulnerability. You know, for me, it was that I crashed in my mid-30s. I had two kids. I just, like, couldn't. I wasn't living the kind of life that I wanted to live. And it's often it often takes that kind of crisis to get a conventional physician to look more holistically and in an integrated way at the human body. So, you know, that certainly happened for me. It happened, I mean, that's sort of the... The, he the healer's journey. It's sort of like, you know, what gets a lot of people to pivot when they're in conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think it's why, when I think about why Goop is so resonant with so many women, it seems to be that, that moment. And when you're not a physician and you have a baby and suddenly you're like, my body is profoundly changed. It is stubborn and obdurate and like nothing works. And you go to your doctor and you're like, I don't feel well. And they're like, you're fine. Like if I have to hear, oh, what well, you have, 
you have young kids as one more time in totally. reaction to like, I'm, I understand sleep deprivation. I went to college. But yeah. This is different. And I think for so many women, it's that moment of like, please listen to, like, can we have a conversation? Can we solve this very complicated puzzle together? Yeah. I wanted to punch my doctor in the face when I was up against what you're talking about. You know, I think, and my story is the story of so many women, just as you described. You know, I was in my, about 35, I went to my doctor. I was, you know, sort of shivering in one of those ridiculous little gowns waiting for an hour for him to come. Yes, physicians also wait for other physicians. And I really opened my heart to him. I said, you know, I've got PMS and it's pretty bad. Like I'm a total bitch for a week before my period comes. I might end up divorced if I don't do something about it. I'd rather mop the floor than have sex with my husband. Like I, I'm really struggling. And it's not just the sleep deprivation of having two kids. I had weight I couldn't lose. And I, I just felt way too young to feel so old. All I wanted to do was like stay in and drink a glass of wine and watch TV. You don't want that at 35. Like that's not the life that we're meant to have. And what he said to me was really important because he dismissed me and said, you know, you've got young kids, you're just getting older, they're there. And at first I was humiliated. And then I had that righteous indignation that I think can move mountains and can foment a revolution. I felt like my hormones were out of whack and he didn't want to hear about it. He said, if that's the case, why don't you go on a birth control pill? Which you know, we can talk about that, that that has its own set of problems. And he also offered me an antidepressant. So here I was feeling this gap between the demands of my life and what I had physiologically to meet those demands. I was asking for help, and he was writing a quick prescription. That doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't address the root cause. It doesn't help me. In fact, it's linked to a lot of other problems. Even further loss of libido if I go on an antidepressant. They're worse than placebos in most randomized trials unless you have the severest of depression, which I didn't have. So I left his office. I was fortunate to have this medical training, and I could apply what I knew about the female body to my own situation. I went and checked my hormones, and my hormones were totally off. My cortisol was three times what it should have been. My thyroid was sluggish. My estrogen was way high. My progesterone was way low. That's like nature's Valium. That's why I couldn't soothe myself. So that's what got me on this path of looking at, okay, what are the levers for getting your hormones back into balance so that you can feel that sense of grace in your body, which is our birthright. Like that's what we deserve. Why do you think that like out of grace state happens to so many women? Well, I've been seeing patients for 25 years and I can tell you there's a handful, like less than five, who are in a state of grace, kind of regardless of what comes their way. They're superhumans. I'm very curious about them. <laughs> but there aren't many of them. The then there's of the your other, next book. Yeah, there's the other 99% of us who are just like, help. So why does this happen? I mean, there's a lot of different factors. I'll just hit a few highlights. One is the chemical industry and the amount of toxins that we're exposed to. You know, I was on a plane yesterday flying across the country. I got exposed to radiation. It's like getting an X-ray. Then you go through all the X-rays when you go through TSA. 
There's um, flame retardants in the fabrics that you're sitting on, on the plane. There's um, air pollution. All of those things conspire to change your hormonal balance. You know, we're exposed to endocrine disruptors all the time. You can be super careful and super clean. You know, I only use organic makeup now. I learned that the lipstick I used to use 15 years ago was full of lead, and that made me, um, one of the things lead does besides making you dumber is that it takes kind of the low-potency stress hormones, the ones that don't bother you very much, and turns them into high-potency stress hormones so that you feel stressed out of your mind. So we get exposed to all these toxins and detoxification, which I used to think of as a luxury, is now a necessity. So that's one factor. Another is just our modern lifestyle and, you know, our, our smartphones, the way that we're always on. We know that's associated with anxiety and depression, all of which have hormonal drivers. It's also um, these superwoman, superhuman expectations that we put on ourselves. I think this tend and befriend response actually needs to be integrated into our day. This hanging out with benevolent women really makes a difference. So there's a lot of different reasons why hormones are out of whack and we feel like crap. And I think the basic workaround is to really understand the innate intelligence of the body and how to work with it. We'll have more of Elise's conversation with Dr. Sarah Godfrey in a minute. We've written a lot on Goop about the importance of sleep. It's when our bodies unpack and recover from the stresses of the day, and not getting enough of it can be detrimental to our health. An essential part of any clean sleep routine is perfectly crisp yet soft bedding. I think we're all on the same page on this one. At Goop, we focus on GOTS certified organic cotton sheeting, which means that no harmful chemicals were used in their creation, which is definitely better for the environment and also for our bodies. A company that's setting the gold standard in the industry is Bowl & Branch. They use 100% pure organic cotton, and everything is ethically made, meaning that every farmer and factory worker is treated fairly every step of the way. If this all weren't enough, the sheets are incredibly soft and only get cozier the more you wash them. They are a staple at Goop headquarters, and I have them for my baby's crib, for my bed, and for the bed of my five-year-old. So now it's your turn. Bowl and Branch has a little clean sleep challenge for you. Take 30 days to sleep on their incredibly soft organic cotton bedding or return it for a full refund, no questions asked. Head over to bowlandbranch.com and use promo code GOOP for $50 off your first set of sheets. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Dr. Sarah Godfried. Just thinking about toxic chemicals and the load that we carry between the environment, our food, our personal care products. Um, obviously, at Goop, like we we talk a lot about eating clean and sort of a detox lifestyle, which I know is one of those things that's just like wildly refuted. It just drives people crazy. This idea that your system, your your body cannot detox itself, and obviously it can to a certain extent. But what do you think needs to happen? How do we build the, the evidence and the research to support this idea? Because it's so important. Like when you look at what people are being exposed to and it's how it's amplified throughout society, how do we tackle that? Great question. I think you tackle it with data. So I think hard data is super sexy. It's what's going to really change 
the way that conventional medicine looks at some of these issues, like detoxification, like um, adrenal function, at you know natural hormone balance. So the way that you do that is to prove the case. So in the language of conventional medicine, that means doing outcome studies. And fortunately, there's four studies going on looking at functional medicine at the Cleveland Clinic that Mark Hyman is leading. I think that's going to go a long way to kind of prove the case that a more holistic, integrated, functional medicine is so much better for you than what's on offer from conventional medicine. And we know that the healthcare system is broken. You know, 70% of the trillions of dollars that we spend on healthcare in the U.S. is preventable disease. Preventable. Like lifestyle medicine would solve it. Things like what you're talking about, what we, what we read on Goop, like the detoxification, the um, you know, being careful about what you put into your body, but also how you get rid of it. You know, these um, evidence-based approaches to get your hormones back into balance, to eat the kind of foods that really nourish you. So not the Coke, but the broccoli. Like those make such a big difference in terms of how you feel and your arc over your lifetime. Like I, I have a great grandmother who was a whole foodist and could still stick her foot behind her head and do a yoga pose before she died at age 97. And I want to die like that. Like she died in her sleep. She had a very long health span, which is that period of time where you feel fantastic, like you're totally on top of your game, free of disease, as opposed to disease span, which is that period of time where you're like slowly getting worse, you know, autoimmune conditions, um, hypertension, heart disease, all those things that we don't want to have. So I think the way that you change it, the way that you create a revolution is with hard data and also with building bridges. You know, I, I don't blame conventional physicians for the state that we're in. I do blame some pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> I do blame the chemical industry, which is like big tobacco. But I, I think that, you know, fighting with doctors who have the old, the old school view is not necessarily the solution. To me, talking to them, saying to them, listen, I saw your patient. I know she sees you for cardiology. She's got a cortisol that is um, like mine used to be three times what it should be. And that is one of the reasons why I think she's having all these symptoms. Having those individual conversations can really make a difference. And then the outcomes data is what's going to kind of move a bigger group. And I think just stoking curiosity. I think if you're a doctor and a healer, like you are probably inherently a very curious person. So I think like allowing people to come into that like questioning phase so it doesn't feel threatening. Yes. Um, That's one. huge. Yeah. That's huge. That curiosity. And, you know, f I think if you really ask most traditional physicians how they're feeling, like if you test them, 90% of them are addicted to coffee. They probably, 50% of them have mold in their home. Many of them are medicating, you know, they drink five cups of coffee just to get going in the morning and then they drink a bottle of wine at night to wind down. Like if you really ask them how they're doing and you do some testing and look at their liver and look at their gut function and their microbiome and um, do a hormone panel, you could help them feel so much better. That makes a big difference too. Yeah. And I think what's, what's interesting and what we experience all the time is, and, and what I love about the programs that you've structured is, you know, 
giving women and giving the men who read the site as well, but giving everyone autonomy over starting to like heal themselves. And we constantly get those emails like I begrudgingly or like mockingly decided to do this detox and I actually it was so good and I feel amazing. And it, that seems to be sort of like a turning point for people, of, particularly when it starts with diet, just cleaning it up. They're always surprised by how good the food is and how nourishing that it's not about deprivation at all. It seems to be like the beginning of that journey for a lot of people. And then they start exploring maybe what's happening with them emotionally. And it's almost like a gateway drug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I need a better term for it. But I, I think, you know, what I know after practicing for 25 years is that you have to meet someone where they are. And often just changing the way they're eating can make such a huge difference in the amount of energy they have in the morning, the amount of gratitude that they feel, you know, the brain waves, um, the balance between their, their nervous system, their sympathetic on button and their parasympathetic off button. Food can make such a difference. I have a total food first philosophy, but it also can be overwhelming. Like I don't tell someone the first time they meet me that I'm going to change their food. I'm going to totally change their exercise plan and they have to cut out all their toxic relationships and we're going to do genetic testing and I'm going to put them on, you know, a hundred supplements. Like that's, that's not how you do change management. A lot of people know what they do, what to do. Like they have an intuitive sense that they need to eat more vegetables, maybe cut out the, um, something that they're eating that's triggering them. But the way that you really get sustained results, I think, is with change management. And ultimately, I'm really a, a change agent. That's, I would say, my number one descriptor. So figuring out how you can make sustainable change and really make it stick is different person to person. And we have to figure that out. We have to, like, unearth it. Mm -hmm. And you do that sort of on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But I'm assuming that that's, like the, um, thought, you know, let's take out these foods and then let's, and as they start to see things and feel more empowered, it feels less insurmountable. Is that the idea? That's yeah. Because baby steps add up to major transformation over time. That's the cool thing. I do it one-on-one. -on -one. I've done it one-on-one -on -one for a long time, but I also do it a thousand women at a time. So like with our hormone reset diet, we've got a detox that we've had about 20,000 women go through. And what I love is that you can really prove the case. So when you cut out these foods that are causing your hormones to be out of whack and you do it for 21 days, in our first beta test of 1,000 women, they lost 15 pounds. They lowered their blood sugar by 10 points, which most, most people don't get excited about. That's what I get the most excited about because your blood sugar rises as you get older. It makes you foggy. It is a setup for dementia. If you just correct your blood sugar and that's the only takeaway you have from our podcast today, like that alone will prevent dementia. Wow. I don't want dementia. Like I want to be able to recognize my great-grandchildren when I'm in my 90s. So... I think, uh, you know, definitely I like to prove the case one-on-one, -on -one, but I like to do it also in larger groups. I think that's what, that's what the bigger organizations tend to listen to. Yeah, and I think that sort of moving it that way too obviously makes it accessible for so many more people who can't, can't come to see you. It's interesting too because I feel like so, much, so often this idea of this lifestyle is presented as like out of reach or inaccessible or expensive. And I think that's the irony of the entire thing. It's like if we can just 
and, and maybe it starts at the top. And, you know, now Walmart's like the biggest provider, biggest buyer of organic foods. But as the market starts to change and people have access to better food and personal care product companies start cleaning up formulations, like we all benefit and it becomes the cheapest form of healthcare that there is. Well, that's what we need because our current system, you know, kind of this disease span is ridiculously expensive. Like we're bankrupting our government. We can't afford it. We have to do something about it. I think as an individual, not everyone can relate to that, but you can relate to a study that was just published looking at a group of people in Australia who ate organic plant-based food for one week, seven days. They also added eggs and some fish. And they had a dramatic reduction in their toxic load after seven days. So you're right. I mean, it's expensive to come to see me. My online courses are a lot less expensive, but it can be as simple as going plant-based, doing what they did in the study, add some fish, add some healthy fats, add some eggs if you're not intolerant to them. And within seven days, you can move the needle. Like you can see dramatic changes. So I think for people who find this kind of inaccessible or a little woo-woo or more than what they want to handle right now, I like to take that kind of data and really translate it into something that is more hopeful. And I think that seven-day study is a good example. Well, and I love that you were prescient enough to create this sort of online community and course, which provides a lot of the structure that you need. I know you mentioned genetic testing and, and like, the technology that's coming to help us in our healthcare. Like, what role do you see that playing? Oh, huge, huge, because it's... You know, not everyone is ready for genetic testing. I think you have to be in a certain place with it. I tend to bring it in like the second or third visit that I have with a patient. But genetic testing is the next 10 to 20 years of medicine. I think within a few years, we're all going to have our entire genetic code that is either on our smartphone or like a little chip that we have in our wallet. And on the one hand, genetics aren't everything. Like this is a really important point. If you look at all diseases, genes are only about 10% of your risk of disease. 90% is your environment. So the way that you eat, move, think, and supplement, that's 90%, much of which is modifiable. So genes kind of give you the blueprint. They give you kind of, here's your trajectory over time. But your environment, much of which you can can control, is what really modulates your risk of disease. So a quick example... I come from a family that has a lot of blood sugar problems and hair loss. (laughs) So I I just always, when I did my genetic testing, I had this picture of myself, oh, I'm going to be 65 years old, no hair, and a 200-pound diabetic. Like, that is not the picture I have for myself. (laughs) So I want to change the way those genes are expressed. So it means I have to be vigilant about blood sugar. I have to be really careful. I don't eat sweets. I don't have sugar. I don't have sweeteners because I'm so, I'm vulnerable. So I think genetic testing is huge. It's not quite ready for prime time for everyone, but for people like me who are early adopters, it can really help kind of dial in, here's your blueprint, here's what we can do about it to strengthen 
the positives that you have in your genome, and we all have them, and also take those four or five not-so-good genes and do something about it. Yeah. So interesting, this idea of sort of future-proofing your life. My dad's a physician, and he and my mom have this crazy, I think it's hilarious, they made a pact when they got married that they would weigh in every year and maintain their weight. Because in my dad's practice, he's a pulmonologist, five pounds, five pounds, five pounds, suddenly yes. you're diabetic, suddenly you need both of your knees replaced. He just watched his, his patients essentially fall off a lifestyle cliff. But I always thought that was, it's incredible. And their health span speaks to it. Yes. I love this. There was just a study that came out um, this year from Harvard looking at exactly the point that your father made in this pact with your mother, which is like, it gives me chills to hear that because I think it's really beautiful. So in this study, they looked at women and their weight at age 18. So just think back to what you weighed at 18. And then they looked at age 55 at what these women weighed. And on average, those women gained 28 pounds, which is a lot. And the women that gained this amount of weight, which is considered moderate, they had two to three X the risk of disease. So that includes high blood pressure, diabetes, blood sugar problems, obesity-related cancer like breast cancer. So you can totally change those risk of diseases just with how you modulate your weight. Now, I'm not talking about being anorexic. That's not the picture that I want for you. But just that pact that you talked about with your parents, that can make such a big difference in terms of your health span versus disease span. Another point it brings up is that so many people are vigilant about their their retirement plans. You know, they see the ads for Schwab or whatever, and they, you know, they're super careful. They want to know what their retirement score is. But your greatest wealth is your health. I didn't say that. Emerson said that, but I totally agree with him. No, it's true. And when you think about your retirement fund and then you think about your, your health, then you think my parents are terrified, as you can imagine, of like ever ending up in a home or, lo- or becoming demented or like what that end of life looks like. They want to die like your grandmother. I like that they're so neurotic and prescient that they have been also drilling that down in me. Because I also think it's so much easier when you, after you have a baby, for example, and getting on top of your hormones looking for that reset, getting it under control instead of feeling like you can't control it ever again, which I think is what happens to a lot of women. It definitely never recover. Yeah. I've seen that so many times in my practice and, and it was happening to me too. You know, I think pregnancy is such a dynamic time. It is the most dynamic time in the human race in terms of you're carrying this fetus that is half you, half not you. And so your body has to go through all these machinations to um, not reject that fetus. You know, some women, it doesn't work. They have a miscarriage. But there's this huge, like, autoimmune shift that happens in the body, and it triggers a lot of different things. You know, on Goop, you talk about the 5% reduction in brain volume. There's this issue with so many women where they have thyroid problems for the first time after they have a baby and their, you know, their hair is falling out. They're totally exhausted. Their skin is dry. They go to their doctor and their doctor is just like, you just had a baby. Of course you have those problems. No, check my damn thyroid. Like, (laughs) let me know what my hormones are doing. So yes, many women get to that place of being postpartum and there's like this, uh, surrender, and not surrender in a good way. 
you know, a lot of women find that they eat more just to feel more energy. And I had that experience too. You know, I gained way too much weight with my first baby. I was working hard. I was like taking call. I was doing surgery up until the day before I had my baby. I was, I had way too much cortisol going through my body and cortisol is, you know, it just, it's like a bowl in the China shop. Like it just really causes problems. And I gained too much weight. And then I had the worst time trying to lose it. All the old measures didn't work. I had to try something completely new. And I think a lot of women come up against that and kind of give up. So I want to encourage those women not to give up, or even if you have given up, like, let's rein it back in because there's so many ways that you can get those hormones back on your side. And when they're on your side, it feels so much better. Mm -hmm. If they're betraying you, it, that's when you want to give up. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really this invitation to say, okay, let's look at your biology like, this is not a moral failing. This is not, like, you incapable of coping with motherhood. This is not you incapable of figuring out how to do a diet. Let's check your biology. Like, let's measure your hormones. Let's see what's going on with your blood sugar. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I have also have an inflamed. I gained. I broke 200 pounds. Me too, sister. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> I, <laughs> Oh, God. I'm still, it's, even after my second, and I'm patient, I get it, but it is a slog. It's a slog, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gottfried. I could talk to you for hours. So My pleasure. So happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us for our talk with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. You can learn more about her work on her site, sarahgottfriedmd.com. I know that her vision of a world of benevolent women will stay with me for a while. Now it's time for Ask Me Anything. Your attitude about natural and organic products on Goop.com, do you carry that into how your home is built, the cars you drive, the environment? Asks Diana. Diana, I do. This has been a long process. I just really started learning about the potentially harmful chemicals in our personal care products a couple of years ago. My mother, Blythe Danner, is an amazing environmentalist and raised us. We went to the recycling center once a week before there was curbside recycling. And we had very early solar panels on our house in Santa Monica. I bought a Prius when they first came out. Now I have a, a hybrid. So we try to be as environmentally responsible as possible. I'm actually building a house now and my intention is to build it all or completely off the grid. Have a question? Drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this week's episode of the Goop podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe and tell your friends. See you next week.